you would please open up your Bibles to the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus, where we left off last week uh, in our study. <laughs> and I was thinking we, I could get through uh, all of the of chapter 22, but I was shy on that, and I just didn't want to rush the last part of chapter 22. Uh, so today, uh, we'll take the rest of 22, starting with 22, verse 22, and we'll take it to the end of uh, the chapter, and then we'll take chapter 23, and I, you know, and I will probably won't be bold enough to go beyond that, but uh, we'll see what the Lord does today uh, with the, the teaching here. Now, if you remember in chapter 20, we have seen the Ten Commandments, also referred to as the law of Moses, but the law didn't come from Moses. He was just the messenger. This is the law of God. God says this is it, and he just used Moses to communicate. So always keep that in mind as we go through these. This is not just some guy saying this and laying down the law, but this is, this is God saying this, and so we must heed. And as we moved into 20, chapter 21, we had seen more details of the laws. Why? Because Moses couldn't be just the only judge. He had to appoint. I believe there's probably at least 70, as we will see as we continue, probably 70 elders that were selected to be judges for the small groups and the larger groups and the bigger groups and thousands. And anything that was really serious would be then led up to Moses to actually be the ultimate decision making on some of those big, big deals. Now, through that, how do you take 70 judges or whatever the number was and then tell them how to be consistent in the message of how to judge rightly among 2.5 million people? So there had to be some kind of, of consistency of the law. And in this case, God gave Moses those detailed laws. It was written down, and we have those, and we've gone through some of those. We've went through how you are to worship God, the, the altar that you would worship on that, on that, how that was put to be or not to be, employment laws and how you treat your employees or servants, as they refer to in the scriptures. The, we talked about how murder was supposed to be dealt with, manslaughter was to be dealt with, violent assaults were to be, be dealt with in God's righteous way. It was a liability of how to deal with one's animals and responsibility for animals of others and how to deal with that. And why was that so significant? Why? Because that was their livelihood. So take that in whatever is the livelihood of a business or the livelihood of, of a family. These things are equal to today. Then we had theft, how to deal with that, and the responsibility and restitution if someone was to steal and how that was supposed to be dealt with. We talked about money and property lending and how that was all supposed to be worked out in regards to uh, in the society. Money, um, uh, rape, dowry, the value of a young woman's virginity, how important that was in that culture of that time and still should be. And then idolatry and sorcery and how that is it was in, in how to be handled and witchcraft and, and, and drugs and other things. These things were important for God to communicate to his people for this consistency, for the benefit of the society. Even if it, you didn't feel like that, you don't like, I don't like that. Okay. So you, you have a feeling problem and you have to get over it because this is what God says and you're going to have to work through that. Because this is what's right. This is good. It's God's law. It's not someone making this up as you go. Now today we're going to see some more subjects where we didn't catch up at the end of chapter 22. But um, also in chapter 23, we're going to see the treatment of disadvantaged people in society. 
Take note of that today. Very important. Compassion for others that are less fortunate in regards to uh, situations they find themselves in. We're going to talk about justice, especially in the equal standing before the law and how important that is that everyone's equal. Ceremonial devotions. We're going to talk about the Sabbath and annual feasts. And finally, a blessed promise. And we'll see how far we go through all of this uh, today in the chapter. So, First, uh, Exodus chapter 22, verse 22 through 24, we're going to talk about this, this, the, the treatment of disadvantage or the weak or the vulnerable here. And you shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child, period. Did you hear that? A widow or a fatherless child, someone who is an orphan and someone who is, has no uh, husband or wife there, you can see that is who we're talking about here. And if you afflict, he's telling the people, if you afflict them in any way, in any way, and they cry at all to me, even a little whimper, he says, I will surely hear their cry. And my wrath, now take note of this, this is not, this is not something you just pass by in these words here. These are pretty strong words. My wrath will become hot. Now, that's not a hot in a good way. Hot as in there is going to, someone's going to get burnt from this because this is not good. My wrath will become hot and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will be widows and your children will be fatherless. Now, if you remember back in, 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 uh, in uh, the uh, 21 verse uh, 23 through 25, but if anyone harms uh, a if anyone any if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. So God is not messing around here when it comes to those who are the most vulnerable in that society, those who had no father to protect that child or if they had no wife or a, a, a widow had no husband to protect in that society they were the most vulnerable because they could not work they couldn't just freely go do the things that we have they didn't have the social um infrastructure to that you can just get your your checks coming in every month on your own and you don't need any man to help protect you and take care of you and that didn't happen in those days and so what happens is people would take advantage of those who are most vulnerable. It's that mindset where you see an unrestrained and ungodly society that has that survival of the fittest society, a mindset that sets in and it would be, uh, it would be uh, it's, it's like, I, it's their problem, not my problem, and, and we're strong and we'll take advantage of this because they shouldn't even be surviving. It's a mentality of survival of the fittest. It's, it's from the pit of, of Satan. It's pure thought process. That's a pure thing. So any thought process that these people had that says the elderly or the widows in this case or the orphans are a, a drag on society and a waste of resources, it's from the pit of hell and you've got to get rid of it out of your head. Repent. Repent, my brothers and sisters. Repent. That should never happen in our minds. If anything, if that comes to your mind, you should say, Lord, how do I do more for these people? How can I go out and help and serve and give more to the people who are in, 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 in challenge? Because why God has commanded this is completely, if you do anything against them, he says, I will become hot and I will kill you and you will end up seeing your wives with no husbands and your children with no fathers. And then you'll see that is not going to be a good moment for at all in your eyes. 
Verse 25 through 27, we see now the compassion for the poor. He says, if you lend money to any of my people who are poor among you, you shall not be like a money lender to him. You shall not charge him interest. And if you ever take your neighbor's garment as a pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For it is his only covering and it is his garment for his skin. What will he sleep in? And it will be that when he cries to me, I will hear for I am gracious. Now, when we take a look here in the compassion for the poor, it's here your brother comes up to you and says, hey, I need, I need some money. Can I borrow some money here? Because I need to just temporarily get me through this because I'm going to go work and I'll, I'll pay you back. <clears throat> but can I borrow some money because I need to put food on the table for my family for whatever it is. But you are then as a brother to then lend him that money, but not like a money lender, not like a banker, not one of those quick things on the shopping malls that says you come in here and, uh, and, uh, and you can borrow $100, but it's 50% uh, interest. You know what I'm saying? It's not one of those things you take advantage of. Oh, yeah, fine, brother. I'll, I'll give you the money. I can see you're in great need. So um, I'm just... You know, you could give me a little extra back, you know. No, no, no. You're not to be like some banker taking advantage of someone who is in a bad situation at a, at a moment called uh, poverty. You're not to take advantage of your brother or your sister in that way by taking and, and charging interest. And then it's also, you're going to be a situation where the guy comes up and says, I would like to, I need to borrow some money. And here, take what's valuable to me because it's poor. I have nothing, but I'll take my own my clothes off my own back and give it to you as a pledge to know that I'm going to pay you back brother you take you take that garment that keeps him warm at night it's his little his little sleeping bag at night it's what kept him warm at night it's not like they had all these this is their blanket it's their outer garment in that time when it got a little cool in the, in the desert so he's given it to show a commitment that I'm going to pay you back but God says, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down because, because show grace. Because this man is going to be cold and he's not going to do well through the night if you don't give his arm, outer garment back. It's more important that you give his outer garment back than getting your money, right? Because it's God's money anyway, right? It's his in control. He's going he's to provide for you. So be gracious because God is gracious, Right? Grace, grace. We always have to remember that as our brothers and sisters, we must have grace upon other people in time of need. And so God promises that he will hear these prayers from the poor and that he's going to show grace and even, you know, and just bring it. Why? Because God understands, right? Jesus understands everything you could be going through. Remember, he was born in, not into a rich home. He was born in a poor home. Remember, shortly right after he was his birth, they went to the sacrifice, and the sacrifice that his family had to bring was two birds in Luke 2, 24. And those who were poor brought doves versus a lamb. So we know he gives in a poor family. So he understands poverty if you find yourself in poverty. In verses 28 through 31 here in chapter 22, we saw the law regarding um, the holiness and, and um, separation 
yourself to God. It's, 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 you'll see here that you shall not revile God. Bad. Never revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. <laughs> that goes and touches a hot spot, doesn't it? When you were quick to, to, to curse a ruler who oversees us at a, a, a government level, we have to be very, very careful of this because God says right here, you shall not revile God nor curse one of those elders and one of the, or Moses and everything else you've been doing out there, uh, the ruler of the people. You shall not delay to offer the first of your ripe produce and your juices. The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. Likewise, you shall do with your oxen and your sheep, and it sh shall be with its mother seven days, and on the eighth day you shall give it to me, and you shall be holy men to me. You shall be holy women to me. You shall be holy men to me. You shall not eat meat torn by beasts in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs. So as we take a look at this section here, there is a standard that God says how we are to behave as his children. First of all, you will not revile, you will not curse, you will not go against God. Period. And those God has appointed over you to keep order and you need to respect responsibility or the leadership that has been appointed over you. Maybe not so much the person, but the position that that person holds. And also, as you take a look at the most basic measure of the holiness that God is saying to us, is how we see him and those who are rightfully put in authority over us. And so we need to make sure, as God says to him, be very careful not to come against God or come against those who are appointing you, leading you across this desert into the promised land. Be very, very careful. But also you should not delay to offer the first of your ripe produce and your, ju and your juices. Why? Because the way you honor God is to give God your best to God. God doesn't get seconds. God doesn't get hand-me-downs. God doesn't get the... the uh, the alternative and last-minute scraps. He gets the first, the best of everything. That's the way you honor God. That's how you... He's your king. He's the head of all of our lives. Everything you received was from him. So that you turn around and you give the first fruits of everything back to him freely and wonderfully as a praise offering. And so that is how you... Have holiness in your life. Is honoring God. Giving your best to God. Because if you don't, then we, we show that he is less of value in our life and we don't see any value at all in, 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 in worshiping and serving him in our giving and our service. But one way to honor God is by giving him his due. And we are commanded to give something to God, and it is a sin not to give it. Or even to delay in giving it is a sin. Very clear in the scripture. Now, the firstborn of your son shall be given to me as well. It means that that, person's, that, that, that son is going to be dedicated to serving. 
Exodus 13, if you remember back in verses 11 and 12, the commandment was to be obeyed when they come into the land of Canaan. Much of the Mosaic law that we're talking about was really in preparation for them to go into the promised land, into this, this, the, the new covenant, and into the, the new, moving into the new land, I should say. And because of that, many of these things weren't making sense to them, I'm sure. Like, why will you do that now? And we've never done that before. And why is this? Because God was preparing them for a new life in the promised land. But if they trusted God, if they honored God, they would have just been obedient and continue to move forward as God was leading them. At this point in time, when they're receiving this, they're one year away from going into Canaan. One year. But because of the, as we know the story later on, and because of rebellion, because they didn't follow these laws, and because they were not willing to take the step of faith, because of unbelief and disobedience, they would be 40 years from going into Canaan. Now, when they received this law, they didn't have an understanding that it would be another 40 years before they go into the promised land. And so this firstborn son was to be given to him, and it was done through a redemption we know that the money was given to substitute for the, the son. We'll see that in Exodus 34. But money was also substituted for the firstborn among unclean animals as well. But the firstborn among clean animals was sacrificed to the Lord. Now, when we take a look at that last part of, in, uh, of that verses that we read in verse 31, we talk about uh, you shall not eat torn meat torn by beast of the field and that is because god says you are not to act like animals you're not sitting there going oh roadkill is it still warm this is great now some of you have some friends who are like that they're driving along a deer guy hey do you think it's still warm you know it's like we have barbecue no he says, you're not supposed to touch meat that it, you know, has been killed by something and it's just laying around a beast. Why? Because it's, you're not a savaged animal and you don't behave like a savage animal. You don't. Two, it's hygienic. You could get diseases. So he's preventing society from causing eating after another ravaged animal and you can get diseases from doing that. So he's just preventing the people, don't act a certain way that is not honoring to me. That is not what you need to be doing. We're not scavengers and tearing like carcasses like animals do. Uh, we're holy men. We're holy women. This is not how we behave. Now we start with Exodus chapter 23, verse 1 through 3. We see here, again, laws is very much promoting justice. And it says here in verse 1, you shall not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. That's the second thing. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil. That's the third thing. Nor shall you testify in dispute so as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. That's the fourth thing. And you shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. That's a fifth thing. There's five things here, if you look at this, of what to have justice in society, you have to take personal responsibility not to do certain things. Again, 
You have personal responsibility not to do certain things. First one is, is you cannot take something that you heard on the internet or you heard over by the watering uh, the well and you heard something and it was a false report and you turn around and you just circle that baby and repeat it and, and share it with everybody you want to. <laughs> you are not to share false reporting. You can't do that. You have to take responsibility. You need to stop it, not just ignore it, not to just... It's not my business. No, if you have the ability to stop it, you must stop it. So if someone sends you something that's a false report, you repeat back and say, don't send me that again. Stop it right now. That's a false report. Don't keep circulating. You need to do something about this. And they take responsibility and don't circulate it. Second of all, do not put your hand uh, with the wicked to be unrighteous witnesses. So don't be coming around and, and thinking, okay, he's my buddy and he's doing some uh, unrighteous, uh, being a witness in an unrighteous way about some situation, but I'm going to be there for him because he's my buddy and I'll, I will support him so he doesn't get in trouble or I can, we can get our way out or do something. No, no, you are not allowed to be uh, sitting there using your hands, getting involved. That's like, do not put your hand with. Meaning, you're putting effort into helping this guy in an unrighteous way of being a witness over something, and you are not to do that. Next one, you shall not follow a crowd to do evil. You see a gathering together, the nature of man is unbelievable. You immediately want to gather into that crowd to go do something. Be very careful of what and who you associate with in regards to uh, uh, the crowd you are willing to gather together. Because so many times you've seen it on TV. People say, you know why you're out here with this protest? No, I have no idea. But it sounds like a lot of fun. There's a lot of energy going on here. Do you realize how evil these people are ready about to do? No, I didn't know that. You know. People have a tendency to gather into this and, and get in flow with and be influenced by their peers or by their um, uh, fellow man in regards to this movement, this momentum. And you see how evil will do that. They'll get a momentum going and frenzy up people to get them to move in a mass mob to do, and, and to, to do evil. And God says that is not to happen. Just like we're not to have this false report, you must have two or three witnesses very clearly before you can, to, to, to re, that requires a proof. We saw that in, we see that in Deuteronomy 19.15. But we also know that as a crowd gathers together and they're doing something of evil that we are not to associate with them. We see that in 1 Corinthians 15.33. says, evil company corrupts good habits. Did you hear that? Evil company corrupts good habits. You need to take personal responsibility of who you're hanging with and what your crowd looks like, regardless how small or large, and be very careful because you will be dragged into that evil because of the association and you cannot get out of it. Now, you probably know many stories of people, I was just hanging with them. I no, you were with them. You're part of the crowd. And you should not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. So no partiality was to be shown to a poor man. The poor were not to be favored just because they're poor. Just like a rich man should not be favored just because they're rich. 
The fact of someone who is in a dispute has to be based upon the facts of the case and the principles of the justice should be decided of the dispute. Not because, oh, he needs to get all the help because he's poor. He gets everything because he's rich. No, it's got to be based on the justice to be good and right and fair. It's got to be based on facts. It's got to be based on the principles of justice. Not because of your high or low standards or, in, within, or perceived victim status within society. And we see that as prevalent as can be in society today. It's all about this perceived victim, and now based on that, it doesn't matter what the facts are. A person, someone's already guilty. And then all of a sudden, the facts all come out, and then you find out there was more to the story, as you always say. Verse, uh, chapter 23, verse 4 through 9, we see the promotement, uh, promotion of kindness and righteousness within a civil society or how we civilly or society is to be conducted. And it says, if you meet your enemy's ox or, your, or his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who... Uh, of one who hates you lying under its burden and you would refrain from helping it, you shall surely help him with it. You shall not pervert the judgment of your poor in his disputes and keep yourself afar from a false matter. Do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not just justify the wicked, and you shall take no bribes, for a bribe blinds the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. Also, you shall not oppress a stranger, for you know the heart of a stranger, because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. So when you take a look at this, and just looking about how we as a society show kindness and righteousness in society, the first thing that we see right up front is you have someone you don't like. Or you know they don't like you. And you're walking along and you're sitting here and you're enjoying your day and you see the, your enemy's ox or do, donkey sitting there and you know that it's gone astray. It's going to get lost or get hurt or it's under some kind of a situation and you're sitting there. What do you do? <laughs> that's, that's my enemy. He's going to lose an ox. He's going to lose a donkey. I bet you that's his favorite. I can't, I'm so happy he's going to about lose his house. Or lose his car. Or lose his job. Fill in the blank. But at this time, it was, it was his livelihood. It was his ox and his donkey. What God is saying here is even though it's your enemy, you better show kindness. And you better help that person out in the society. And you are going to help him make sure that ox or that donkey is safely back in his possession so he does not lose out on his livelihood in any way like that. Do you see that? Because this principle is as clear as can be. And I'll say it as clear as, as I can be as well. It, how you feel about someone does not determine your right or wrong behavior toward him. How you feel about someone should not determine what is right and wrong, what you should be doing. 
because we're accountable to God. And you know as well as I do that that is right or wrong what I should do. And I should do it regardless if my feelings for that person are as good or bad. We should do what is right regardless. This is the principle of justice. And it must be observed above our feelings. We must fight those situations. Matter of fact, I encourage you, my brothers and sisters, if you have those situations right now, you boldly take a step and do what is right. Boldly put those feelings down and do what is right and move forward and do what is right in that situation at hand. Combat the fleshly desire to go against your enemy or, again, or go with your feelings that would end up not being good for someone else. <laughs> you shall not pervert the judgment of your poor in his disputes. See, God knew that it was always easy for the poor to be neglected. And it comes to the administration of justice. You hear it even today. Oh, the poor, he'll never have a chance. He has no money. He can't get a good lawyer. Blah, 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 blah. God knows that the poor is at a disadvantage when it comes to administration of justice. But it should not be. God says, no, there should not be a, a difference between a rich or a poor when it comes to getting justice, what is right and what is good according to God's standard. It should not be different. And so God had to put this law into place to make sure the people knew that the poor will not be taken advantage of. Being poor did not make one right in a legal dispute either. As you walk in and you're just like, oh, but judge, he's poor. Of course he's right. No, just because you're poor doesn't make you right in regards to the justice that needs to be done. It should never be kept, not only perceived that they're always right because they're poor, but also, and mostly right here, what God is saying here is, the poor should never be in a situation where they cannot get a fair hearing and justice in the situation at hand. It shouldn't be. But he also says here in the scriptures, he says, keep yourself afar, or far from a false matter. Do not kill the innocent and righteous. In society, for civil society, have a good society and the civil conduct of how a society to work, the God is promoting of truth was essential under God's law. You must be telling the truth. You must be following the truth. You must take responsibility to only tell the truth. Because when you stop telling the truth, when you stop pursuing the truth, you stop understanding what God's truth is, society will be blowing up. It's called lawlessness. And in that's a sign of the end times, the scripture tells us, lawlessness will set in. Wrong will be right, and right will be wrong. And we see it more prevalent today than ever before. Because God knew how much evil and injustice is justified among men by lies. Men will justify their actions through lies. 
And is God knew it, and that's why God set a standard right here in the law that says that is not to be. He says you must tell the truth. Daily life and legal practices must be based on truth. And if it isn't, society will fall apart. And that's why he said, do not kill the innocent and righteous, which starts right from the beginning of life. Protect the life in the womb. And it also takes the stance that justice requires also the death of the guilty and the wicked, according to his scripture. And so today, our things are so messed up. They celebrate the killing of innocent babies in a womb, and then they don't even, they set people who should be put to death because of their guilt, and they're setting them free from the jails and putting them back into society. Again, my brother and sister, I only say this because the scripture says it will be like this in the end times. Look up because Jesus is drawing nigh. And I'm telling you, I'm celebrating that God is going to come back and, and take us out of here and set the course straight. And he'll come back to reign. And we'll come back with him to reign and rule. I can't wait because things are becoming so clear to what the scripture tells. What the society be, will be like when you go against God's law. You shall not take bribe, for a bribe blinds the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. God commands you cannot take a bribery. You cannot go against and take a bribe. How do you, how do you stop this? Bribe Well, what do you, how do you say it? Bribe makers can't exist without bribe takers. You don't allow bribery in any form to come to you. Nip it in the bud. If everyone would do that, then people who like to bribe would not be able to do it. And at the very end, let me summarize here in this section with one verse, Luke 10, verse 27. It, it really, Jesus kind of summarizes all these kinds of kindness and fairness and promotion within a, the community of Israel. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Don't forget that. Next we see in verses 10 through 13, the Sabbath principle here or ceremonial devotions. And he says, Six years you shall sow your land and gather its produce, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. And in like manner you shall do with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days you shall do your work, and on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the son of your female servant and the stranger may be refreshed. And in all of that I have said to you, be circumspect and make no mention of the name of other gods, nor let it be heard from your, from your mouth. So the Sabbath principle, not only is the Sabbath principle the six days of work and the rest on the seventh, but there was also a Sabbath year, meaning you worked six years and you rested the seventh year of that land. 
And so when you're sitting here and God is saying to the people here, it's a principle of Sabbath, and it applies to this year, not only just the uh, work week, but the Sabbath years here, it says you're going to work the the, the land, you're going to work it like you should, but I'm going to make sure that you have provided enough fruit from that sixth year, especially the sixth year, that it will be enough to cover you the seventh year so you can let the land be still. Let it rest. Don't completely deplete it. You're not, you're, the nutrients and everything else has to be regenerated for that period of time. And again, it's a form of God saying, do you trust me? Do you trust me when I ask you to do these things? Because it's going to require faith for them to trust God, to work six, to make sure you have a fruit from that land, to provide for your family, and to sell your goods to make money to be able to provide for your family. But God is saying on the seventh, you must let us sit. Now it's interesting. We find historically, we know in the scriptures that they didn't follow this law. Did you know that? They didn't follow this law. They tried to get around it. We see in the, historically, we see how they, they would work the six days, and on the seventh year, they would sublease or give it to a non-Jewish person to work his land for him, so, and they get a percentage back from it. But, but someone else was still working the land. They kind of redefined how God was saying. Be very careful when God says this and you kind of go, well, does he really mean this? And I can probably get away with this. You can't mess with God. And when God says something, you better follow it to the T. Why? Because partial obedience is still disobedience. And how do we know this? How do we know that they didn't follow this? Because we know in the scripture Oh, we know in the scripture in Leviticus chapter 26 and 2 Chronicles that God said, um, for 490 years, you did not allow the Sabbath year to take place. That means you owe me 70 years of rest for this land. And how God gave that rest, as you know in the scripture, they put them in captivity of Babylon for 70 years. Years. <laughs> I don't know about you, but we have the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. And I, I, the last thing I want to do is I want to learn from the scripture. I don't want to repeat other people's mistakes, right? I want to learn from what God is saying here is that be obedient and, because God is going to have his way. Just don't, don't try to circumvent and think you, you're smarter and somehow you can work this around. Because God says you need to rest the land and you need to rest the animals. Because he knows what's best. God knows what's best. Father knows what's best. And you're his children. Don't think you're smarter than dad. <laughs> you somehow get around and he's just old fashioned. He doesn't know what he's doing. Okay? Dad knows what's best. And so he's sitting there. I'm going to get this back. And I'm going to rest the animals. I'm going to rest the land. I mean, you're going to go into captivity because of it. But the principle of Sabbath rest was intended for all people, noticed it. Notice, for all people, even the animals. And the same pattern of the Sabbath rest was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. 
that it was fulfilled in Jesus is intended for all people. That all come to repentance, 2 Peter 3.9. Even all the creation should have rest, Romans 8.21. Because of sin dividing and conquering and, and splitting. All of that through Jesus is fulfilled to have rest in him. We must come to him. And he gives us a warning at the very end of those, verse 13 that uh, from a circumspect, from a view perspective, how you see this, make no mention of it. Don't let the words come out of your mouth of any name of other gods. We are warned, do not show any honor or favor to any other gods. Don't even speak it. Let alone mention it or even have us, you know, think about it and look back on it. Verse 14 through 17, we see the three national feasts that they were to keep. Three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. You shall eat unleavened bread seven days as I command you at the time appointed in the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt, none shall appear before me empty. So the very first festival that they were to keep, the men, all men, the Jewish men were to come to and to, to this festival. They were to come and travel to them. They, many times we brought their families as we know because we saw in Jesus, remember, they left them at the temple uh, and one of the fe feasts, and they left the temple, and they took off going back home, and they went back to get Jesus. Like, where did Jesus go? I thought he was with you. No. So one of these festivals they were, they were at was one of the three that they were meeting. The very first one was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so when we take a look at this, this was that March-April time frame, and it followed and connected to Passover. Remember, he had Passover. That took place. Then they started the unleavened bread for the next seven days where they were to eat unleavened bread. That was a festival they were to keep during that March-April time frame uh, of the festival. Then they came back 50 days later after uh, Passover and they celebrated the feast of harvest or the first fruits of your labors which you have sown in the field. So they're to come back and they have the next festival 50 days later to, uh, to we call Pentecost. That's the other name for the, the first fruits or the Feast of Harvest is Pentecost takes place, which is the celebration of Pentecost is next Sunday, the 31st, uh, for you and for me. Because it's been 50 days since um, Pentecost or Passover. Then we see that the third one is the Feast of Ingathering or the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths it's referred to. And it's at the end of the year which puts it around that September-October time frame when you have gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field three times in the year all your males shall appear before God. Now we'll get more into details of all of these festivals in the book of Leviticus when we get there in the next ten years. But we'll get there. He's like, hurry up, get through Exodus. Um, verses 18 and 19, we see here in chapter 23, is a law around the sacrifice and first fruits offering. And he says, you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, 
nor shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until morning. The first of the, fr of the, fr of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Which is a very little weird ending there in verse 19. Well, let's, let's take this apart a little bit here. So the first part here is, is you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice, my, capital M, my sacrifice, God's sacrifice, with leavened bread. Leavened means what? It means sin. That's Leavened has a reference of sin. And he's saying, as you're going to sacrifice uh, for to worship me, make sure there's no leaven in the house. Make sure that it's, 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 leaven is sin, it's corruption, and it, and, 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 and it needs to be out of your life. It's got to be swept out, it's got to be removed. And so when they were ready to do Passover, and they're doing the Passover lamb, they were to what? They had to clean that house from top to bottom and make sure there was not a hint of possible leaven or yeast in the house. It was a symbolic to say... I want to sacrifice. Go. I need to. To. I need to. Well, today for us is to repent. You need to repent. You know, we come to the communion table. You need to don't take it in an unholy manner. You should come and you should just confess all, lay it all at God's feet as you're coming to the table, and recognize that God has forgiven all of that sin. He's re, He's forgiven you. You've been set free. You've been made clean. But the world can dirty you up. The flesh can rise back up and all kinds of things. But you need to keep in that close as you come to God. Just bring it back to the basics, right? Come back to the basics. Lord, I, I just need more of you. I don't want any sin in my life. I want nothing controlling me. I just want you to be in complete control of my life. And I just confess these things I still I'm just Lord I know you're working in me and we're going to see the scripture here as he gets to this and he talks a little bit about this it, it's, it's really cool how God how he works things a little by little but he says nor shall you the fat of my sacrifice remain until morning because the atonement was to be regarded as a complete work you, you don't get to sit there and say, I'm going to give you a little bit, God, and the rest of it I'll, I'll leave for later. No, why? Because it's going to rot in your life. <laughs> that meat that you didn't completely consume, that atonement, that your sacrificial lamb was to be complete. It was going to completeness. There was supposed to be leftovers or just only part of it. No, it was completeness. Because anytime you sit there, Lord, take it all except for the following, it's not a complete sacrifice, is it? Not a, the, the, the atonement is for completeness. Come all of me, Lord. I give you all of me. My whole life. They were to give the whole Passover lamb. Consume it all. And God says, you cannot let any of it remain in the morning. Everything must be given to God. Not just a portion. Not just what you like. You'll take the good stuff and then leave the bad stuff for the rest. For later on a portion for some... For someone else. But not only were they supposed to sacrifice and do it completely and consume it all and nothing for the morning, but also the first of the first flutes of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord. So when Israel came into Canaan, they had a special responsibility to make 
the first fruit offering to God. Not only the, the regular first fruit offerings that we see in verse 16, but they were also, as when they were going in there, they were supposed to take a special first fruit offering to God, giving God the first and the best, honoring him and glorifying him as a good provider of all things through this time that they were facing. And lastly, it's a little strange thing at the end. Uh, God warned them, don't be like the Canaan pagans when you go into the land. Don't be picking this practice up where you take the fine goat, that young kid, <laughs> that goat, is really good to eat. Do not take that and also uh, uh, boil it uh, in your mother's milk. That is not to happen. Why? Because it was a pagan ritual of, of fertility, of, of sacrifice. It's a ritual that they were not to take up and they were not to. Now, it's interesting. Today, they take this concept right here and they make it as kosher food, right? This is, this is talking about a fertility ritual of a pagan ritual that you're, they were not to participate. But the Jews took it to a kosher, uh, kosher level. So if you go to, like we went to Israel. It was quite interesting. Uh, on uh, on, uh, on uh, a very specific day, you could not have any form of milk, butter, any form of milk in the same geographic location or anywhere around if there's meat. Because you could never put those two together because that's the scripture right here says you cannot boil uh, a, a goat's meat in the mother's milk and they take it to the nth degree. You cannot. I mean, it's funny because we walked in, it's like, where's the butter? Uh, there's no butter for the bread? There's no, there's no milk for the coffee? Everyone's like, I need my creamer for my coffee. Everyone's like, and we, all of us, of course, first time in Israel, if we're like asking the people, where's the milk? Where's the creamer for the coffee? And they're like, no, 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 you can't have, we have meat, we have meat. It was just, again, they take it overboard. Of what the, from the scripture here that uh, God's, law, uh, God's law, but it was more in, in, in tune with the, the common practice of the Canaanite pagan fertility ritual. That is why God says you can't do that. Verse 20 and 21 is now the promise. We see the promises here that God's going to give here to the very end of this chapter. And it says, Behold, I send an angel. Notice in your Bible, it should be a capital A. For, uh, for deity, for speaking of God here, an angel before you to keep you in the, in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. So you want to see what we call a Christophany? This is a very perfect example of a uh, revealing of, of, of Jesus our Lord, right here in the Old Testament. This angel was not just some Gabriel or Michael here. Because Gabriel and Michael, nowhere in the scripture says that you're to obey their word. Matter of fact, they, some you know, try to bend down and try to, to, to worship. There's a get up. You know, you're not supposed to be worshiping an angel. So we know it's not Michael or Gabriel or any other angel because nowhere in the scriptures angels are to be obeyed, let alone uh, can pardon your transgressions. And they do not have my name, capital M, my name in, is in him. So we see clearly this is this 
uh, the angel of the Lord. This is the Jesus appearing in the Old Testament before his incarnation in Bethlehem and often speaks directly as the Lord as we have seen many times as we continue in the scriptures. But he says, it's, my name is in, is in him. In, you know, it's, it's that supernatural realm of God's name is equal uh, is equivalent in his uh, revealed nature. So in this, God, they're making very clear to the people that the Lord is present and has always been with them all the way through the journey, as you know. He was in the cloud. He was in the pillar of the fire. He, we see him, God, the Lord revealing himself clearly as can be here in the scriptures. Now, at the, the one section here to bring you into a place which I have prepared. The angel would go before them into the place which I have prepared, that promised land, right? And the same principle is true of our life when it comes to Jesus specifically now for you and I today. Not only is it true that Jesus goes before us to prepare a place for us in heaven. We see that in John 14 verses 2 through 3. But note also, don't forget as believers... Not only does, has he gone to prepare a place for us in heaven, but he also prepares a place where we walk today in preparation by God. He prepares our steps every day. And he also will be preparing our steps for tomorrow as well if he gives us tomorrow. So as we walk by faith, not by sight, know that your Lord prepares your steps today and tomorrow and each day all the way into heaven. Do you have that assurity in your mind as you walk each day? That God is orchestrating these steps. Why is this happening to me today? Do you believe that God is orchestrating your steps today? Why isn't this happening? Do you believe God is orchestrating your steps today? That God knows what's best? All we need to do is by faith continue to be obedient just Live by faith, not by sight. That's what it really sums it up here for you and I in regards to God's presence and, and what it means to us today as he was leading these people through the desert. Now we see a blessing promise that goes upon Israel here for their obedience. It says, but if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. Wow, that's pretty cool. You mean if I'm obedient and just listen to God's voice and do what he's telling me to do and do all that he tells me, that he is going to be able to just sit there and take out my enemies and my adversaries for me? This is great. It says, for my angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Parasites and the Canaanites and all the Hittites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. You shall now, you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. So you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water. And I will take sickness away from the midst of you. Wow, look at the promise they had of just listening and obeying, being obedient to God's voice. And no one shall suffer miscarriage 
or be barren in your land, and I will fulfill the number of your days. God is in control. <laughs> he was in control then, and he's in control of, his, of us as his children. Do we know that? I, I, I certainly do. And so we sit there, and he says, just be obedient to what I tell you. Just, just listen, be obedient, he says, and, and when you do that, you will be blessed. If you don't do it, then there'll be a curse on you. That's what he's telling the people here. But under the new covenant, for you and I, we operate on a different principle, don't we? Though there is inevitable consequences of sin, if you sin, there's consequences. And God's loving correction for disobedience as a child of God. If you go do something and you're not being obedient to what God has told you to do, he's going to correct you. He's a, he's a good father. He's going to correct you as a son or a daughter for being disobedient. Those things happen. But we are blessed in Jesus not because uh, of our obedience. It's because of faith in what he has done. We see that in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. We are blessed because we've given our life. We trust by faith in Jesus Christ of his atoning, of his sacrifice, of everything he's done on the cross. As a response of being in a relationship with him, being saved, born again experience, our re response to our Father in heaven is to what? To listen and obey. We're not blessed because you obeyed. You're blessed because you're a child of God. Are you with me? So many times people in Christian circles today, they think they have to work. They need to go and serve. I, I come to church. I need to serve. Well, you've been serving over the last two or three weekends. Why don't you just be sitting? No, no, i got to serve. I, you don't know how my week was. <laughs> I, I need to serve. No, God is not going to bless you or not bless you because you didn't serve. He blesses you because you're a child of his. Are you, are you with me? You need to rest in his grace. You need to rest in his grace. And then as you rest in his grace... He will direct your steps of how he wants and what you, he wants you to do to serve him. And yes, be obedient. <laughs> Make sure you do what God's called you to do, what the scripture says we're supposed to do. Be obedient. Don't get me wrong. Because Why? Because you could get corrected. You could get disciplined by dad because you didn't do what he asked you to do. And then finally here, we're going to wrap up here. Verse 27 through 30 here, how God will help uh, you know, Israel here as they pre prepare as in their minds going into the land. He says, I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come and will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will say, oh, now look at that. He says, I have the ability to send my fear before you. Remember Rahab? Remember when the scouts went in there? What did Rahab say to them? We heard, we know, and we're trembling to the core because we knew you're coming this direction. Why, where did they get that fear from? Because God made sure that they heard clearly. 
the power of God is in control over these people and they're coming. So God can bring a fear on someone to help protect his people. I don't, I, I, I have to make note of that. He says, I can cause confusion among all the people to whom you come. I can sit there in a situation and you're like, oh, how is this going to go? And he can cause a confusion among the people to weaken them and confuse them so that you, they're not in, in, in unity or in order. They're disordered and there's no strength there to be able to com combat you, my people coming into the land. That's amazing, isn't it? And he also says, and will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. They won't even see you coming. Because <laughs> I'm going to have them so turned around and distracted. I will be able to do what it needs to do to bring you in here to conquer this land. And I will not only do that, but I will send hornets before you. Which shall drive out the Hittite and the Canaanite and the Hittite uh, and from before you. And I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land becomes desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. So he, God subdued, brought into control these, these Canaanites in this area by bringing on fear, just gripping them with this, this divine panic of gripping of what's going to about to happen. And we'll see that when we get into Joshua. Clearly, the passages in Joshua speaks to this. And we even see in Joshua 24, verse 12, where two of the kings of the Amorites were actually driven out of the land by these hornets that God is going to bring into the land to drive them out. Isn't that amazing that God could use his, his, his uh, creation? And you're like, why do we have hornets? Well, God used hornets for his purposes, to, for his people. There's always a reason and purpose. We may not understand it, but God has an understanding of it. And uh, God used his own things. Can you imagine the hornets just come, zzz, coming in to drive these people batty and get them out. But notice here in these verses here that he's not just going to take them all out at one time. All the enemies and all the adversaries and all the people that would cause them not to come into the promised land and have a good life and, and take up of, of the abundance. Notice that God purposely says, I'm not going to take them out immediately. I'm going to little by little take them out. Why? Because if I take them all out, then the, the land will become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you to, to even be able to come into there. Now, if you through this pandemic, have you noticed some of the things in news cast where people were so isolated in our homes? What was happening in, in towns and in city, places where you wouldn't see it? Wild animals were coming into these places because the people were keeping the, 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 the wildlife out of these places where we're living. And here what happens is now everyone's inside. They don't see it. They feel safe to come in and take over. I can almost understand this right completely. Why He says, I, 
I can't do this. I, I, the animals will take over <laughs> if, I, if, I don't, if I just take everyone out and then you don't get in there. Why? Because they were only 2.5 million people. So he had to wait until slowly get them in there, slowly push the enemy out so they can slowly get bigger as a society, as Israel could get bigger to possess the land. Now, they didn't possess all the land that God said was the promised land. Remember that. Some believe that the most they've ever did is during the time of King David and Solomon. That was the most they've ever possessed the, all the promised land that God said they were supposed to have. They never fully did and was obedient to, to take over all the land that's uh, over there. But God says, in his wisdom, I'm going to slowly take out your adversaries. And so I think it's really a promise for you and I that God's in control of your life. And if you have enemies coming against you or adversaries coming against you and speaking against you in, in whatever form or fashion they're doing it, just know that God is little by little will move them out of your life. Doesn't mean others won't creep up, but God is in control. Let God take, he's using those people to help refine you and me too, right? <laughs> he uses them to help us refine, to be in prayer a lot and make sure we're constantly seeking after God's direction and understanding and building up compassion, even for our enemies, because we're supposed to love our enemies. So just know God is in control. And there's boundaries. We see here verses 31 through 33, there's boundaries that God has set around Israel's inheritance here. And he says, I will set your bounds from the sea from the Red Sea to the sea, which is the, probably the Sea of Aquaba, to Philistia, and from the desert to the river. And notice the river's capital R, that's usually referencing Euphrates. So he's setting the boundaries of the land that they're going to go in and possess. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you, and you shall make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. So he says, okay, here's the boundaries. Left to right, north to south, here's this is your boundaries. This is where you're going to go in and I'm with me. You are going to push all those enemies out. You don't let those people, those enemies, those adversaries stay in you with you. Why? Because they could cause you to sin against me, God says. And that's so true. Be very careful who you allow in your life. Because those individuals in your life could cause you to sin against God. How? Because of their ways, their practices, how they talk, how they speak, what they allow in their life. If you're in close proximity, you will be picking those things up. And if so if you're sitting there witnessing to someone about Jesus and you're trying to justify it, the reason why I have a relationship with this guy or this gal or be around them is because I'm trying to witness it to him. Understand, if you have the ability that God is working through you to really have a positive influence, bringing that person to God, I got you. But if that person is influencing you and actually causing you to have less of God or less of being around God's people or in the word of God, cut that person off immediately. Why? Because you're going to be sinning against God. And why? If you serve other gods, other people, 
the things of this world, the flesh, it will surely be a snare to you. What is a snare? You'll be captivated. You'll be captured, snared for destruction. And I don't want that to happen to any of you. So take note. Make corrections. Be obedient. Amen?